You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. Okay, folks, you may be seated, and I'll invite um, Kaya and Maddie to come up, and they're going to provide the second reading during Advent. And actually, why don't all the kids come on up, and we'll gather around the candle and we'll um, light it here in a second. But we're going to have a reading from our friends, Kaya and Maddie, first. In a world where so many experience violence, God lights a candle of peace in our hearts. We wait together for a Savior who will be Emmanuel. Christ the Lord, hear the word of the Lord. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sin in the darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Luke 1, 78-79. This week is the theme of peace, and so we want to think about peace as we go throughout this week and this morning in our Sunday school class. Um, who brings peace into our world? Who is it, Kaya? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus brings peace into our world. The promise of Christmas is that we have Jesus who brings peace into our world, into our hearts, and... Is there peace in the world right now? There's a lot of, well, there's some, but there's a lot of disruption. There's a lot of fighting. And so Jesus asked us to walk in his way of peace. What's that, Caleb? And there's pirates. There are pirates. That's a good point. Thanks. No, not close to us, thankfully. Lake Superior does not have any pirates on it. So, but... In some place there are pirates, yes. That's true. Did you want to speak in this? No? Okay. But he might, you said you might want to try to run away to the place of pirates? Okay. <laughs> you, can maybe, you can maybe do that one day. Maybe mommy and daddy will have to help you though. Right? Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of peace in the world. There's a lot of sadness and a lot of fighting. And Jesus says, hey, I'm the light of the world. And if you walk in my way, you can bring peace. And that's the promise that we cling to at Christmas, isn't it? And we trust that one day, our hope is that one day Jesus will make, will bring a peace that lasts forever. Amen.
Well, good morning. We are in uh, week two as we continue exploring the themes of hope, peace, joy, love um, that have been used for hundreds of years in the church to encourage and challenge us uh, at this time of year as we welcome Emmanuel, God with us. Um, And so this morning, or last week, we explored the theme of hope, and we saw how these ancient prophecies of Isaiah um, that were spoken 700 years before Jesus comes on the scene um, had relevancy and spoke both to the hope of Judah and the people of Jerusalem to save them from the threats of their neighbors, so sort of an immediate um, salvation, but then also this future hope of what we call the radical reorienting of reality in which uh, people walk in this counterintuitive way of Jesus, in which weapons are fashioned into garden tools, in which predator and prey, the wolf and the lamb, lay down together. And we noted that this hope for that kind of reality is so outlandish, and we use the word naive even, because you look around at the world around you, and it can be really hard to see those kinds of things ever happening, let alone taking place in our midst right now. And yet, because of Emmanuel, because God is with us through Jesus, that naivety that naive hope becomes a reality. And we, with eyes to see and with ears to hear, can begin to see the reconciliation of all things start to take place in our midst even now. And so last week uh, was hope, and I I just love this poster, uh, this coloring job that the kids did. And I think it'll look pretty neat um, to have, I think my hope is that the plan here is to have hope, peace, uh, joy and love by Christmas. And um, I mean, that's an ambitious pursuit because they only have, they also practice music in the back and they do this coloring. So that's a lot, right? But Sherilyn, is that the goal? Okay. Yeah, that's a great goal. I think that's lovely. Um, and just the vibrant colors and all that are beautiful. So this morning, we are going to shift gears a little bit though. And we're looking at peace. Um, and before we even dive into this, Uh, This morning, I want to just offer as sort of a heads up um, that some of where we're going this morning, some of where I've felt the Holy Spirit lead as I prepared, um, I don't have answers for, at least not for you. And as you'll soon see as we dive into this, there may be things that I say here that you are going to need to wrestle with specifically within your context and in the relationships in your life. And I don't propose to say it has to look like this or you have to do this. Um, And if you're confused right now and saying, what are you even talking about? Don't worry about it. But I do ask that you would just maybe silently ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and to speak to you where he needs to speak to you this morning. Deal? Okay deal. Um, So let's start with this guy. Not this guy, but this guy. Who can tell me, just by looking at this picture, I don't know if you can see it very well, but who can tell me what this story is about? Just shout it out. Who is this? Who is the focus of this story? 
Zachariah. And why do you say that, John? That's right. He's written Johannes, which is, I guess is John. His name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is the son of Zachariah. And Zachariah is a pretty interesting character. He was a priest uh, of the tribe of Levi. So he was a priest. And he uh, was married to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth happened to be Mary's cousin. Mary's cousin, which then meant that Jesus and John were also cousins, or I guess more specifically, uh, cousins once removed, I think, or second cousins. What's the difference? Nobody knows. It's the mystery of Christmas. Um, but I think they were cousins once removed, and they're second cousins. Okay, Cameron says second cousins. We'll go with that. And so Zechariah, the story of how John came about is pretty interesting. Zechariah and Elizabeth, both quite old and not expecting to have kids anymore. Lo and behold, Elizabeth is pregnant. Zachariah doesn't believe it. Gabriel comes to Zachariah, because angels do this. And uh, Gabriel, the angel, comes to Zachariah, and he says, Hey, you are going to have a kid, and you are to name him John. And Zachariah is in disbelief. And Gabriel says, You know what? You're going to be muted until you believe this, until it comes to pass. And so Zachariah is not able to speak now, uh, pregnancy comes along, and against all odds, Elizabeth does give birth to John. Go figure. And once Zechariah agrees to the name of John, which is kind of what we see here, he writes it on a tablet. Once he agrees to that, his voice suddenly comes back, and Zechariah is overcome with joy. And he begins to prophesy in the temple. And I, I want to read just one part of that prophecy this morning. It's out of Luke. And actually, Maddie read it already this morning, but we're going to recap and go um, back to this. So it says, this Luke chapter 1, verse 76 through 79. He says, and this is John prophesying in the temple about his son and about this Messiah that his son will testify to. He says, and you, my little son, John, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide us to the path of peace. And that is such beautiful poetry to me. Um, this prophetic word that the son of Zacharias will be the one who is going to point to this morning light that will dispel the darkness by guiding us to the path of peace. Again, this light, of course, is Jesus, and he will be the light that guides us to the path of peace. And I want you to hold on to that as we continue. Now, there is a difference between the path of peace peace and the path to peace. The path to peace implies that the objective, the end goal of peace is all that matters. And there is this sort of unspoken assumption for many of us that the means of establishing that peace is sort of a second nature. It's sort of secondary. It's somewhat arbitrary. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is at the end of the day, we arrive at peace. The path of peace, on the other hand, is the way of peace. And the way of peace is the way of Jesus. And so, for the past 2,000 years, Christians have unfortunately conflated the path of peace 
with the path to peace, making the means in which peace is attained a secondary matter altogether. We've looked at that and we've said, you know what, um, whatever it takes to get there, just do it. Because peace is what God wants for all of us to have. He wants us to experience that. And so what does that look like practically? Well, one way has been through justifying war as a means to peace. The church has often coupled itself with power structures, be they political or other, that deemed war a necessity in order to arrive at a place of peace. And the result? has been literal blood on the hands of the church, historically. In virtually every generation, we have been complicit in war. If it requires us to fight and to kill and to bring down the enemy in order to get to a place of peace, the church has said, that's okay. We've justified it. Think about how much lasting peace comes in the aftermath of war. Now, sure, there might be a season of peace. There might even be a generation if you're lucky. But war is like a magnet. And we as humans are like these iron filings that just keep going back to this magnet. We are just so attracted. It's like war is like this gravity that pulls us in. And we seem to not be able to resist using those tactics to come to peace, to end our fighting. In fact... Sadly, this tendency toward war, toward fighting, is only getting worse in the 20th century. Listen to this. This is from the Imperial War Museum. They wrote, he said that, it says this on their website. Conflict took place in every year of the 20th century. The world was free from the violence caused by war for only very short periods of time. It has been estimated that 187 million people have died as a result of war from 1900 to the present. The actual number is likely far higher pastor and uh, author Brian Zahn says that war is not the way to peace. War is the way to the next war. Ron and I um, last month took a tour. We were in Winnipeg and we had the opportunity to take a tour, um, a a tour of the Human Rights Museum. And has anyone been there? Raise your hand if you've had an opportunity to understand. Yeah. And so you will know sort of the the feelings that I experienced, which, uh, you know, I anticipated that I would feel certain emotions as I went in there. I thought this was going to be a sobering experience, and indeed it was. Um, I thought there's going to be sadness, it's going to be heavy. Uh, But one emotion that I didn't anticipate feeling was frustration. Um, Frustration kind of came upon me, and it just sort of like slipped in there as I was going through floor after floor after floor and reading about these atrocities um, that humans have done toward other humans over the last 50, 60 80, whatever, 100 years, whether it was the Holocaust, um, whether it was Holodomor, the the famine in Ukraine, which is just awful to learn about. And I confess I did not know very much about that, and it would do you well to learn about it just to see how terrible humans can be. Um, The genocide in Rwanda, it didn't really matter, but every... Uh, every act of human right violation that we read about, that we, that we saw the photos and, and all the uh, presentation of, it started revealing to me this pattern of humans. And the frustrating thing was that that pattern 
is still happening today. That's what I kept getting frustrated about. I would see and or we would read about, you know, um, how the power structures of the world would pit one group of people against another. That pattern. We would see how uh, there would be this sense of scapegoating in the society, right? There would be like this pattern of propaganda. There would be this pattern of just uh, oppressing one group of people or another, and it would continue on like this. And I think, man, this is happening today. The same thing is being done today in our own country to some degree, but definitely to the folks south of the border as well. And it seems that no matter how awful and terrible and just, just so sickening the history of humanity toward other humans has been, we can't help but continue in that quest, in that pursuit, in that tactic, in that approach to, even if we think it's finding peace at the end. We constantly use these old, tired ways of finding peace. And there's a reason why the U.S. military last year spent $766 billion of its budget. That's 12% of its overall budget toward defense, toward military. It's because there is this universally held conviction that any suggestion for peace that looks like anything other than war than conflict, than killing, than violence. Any other approach is just simply naive and it won't work. Despite the fact that for thousands and thousands of years, humans have proven time and again that violence begets violence. Never peace. And when you see this pattern, you walk these halls of the Human Rights Museum and you are filled with sadness and frustration at how we keep going back to these tired old ways of solving humanity's problems of conflict and war, you can't help but wonder, is there not a better way for us to do this? Is there not a better way for us to do this? But it gets worse because it's one thing to look at like the world out there. It's one thing to sort of look at the, even the institutional church and how it's been complicit in ways of violence, in ways of fighting for thousands of years. But what about you? And what about me? And what about we? I have thought, thought and maybe you have as well, that um, we might find peace through ignoring or avoiding those we are at odds with. Has that been a tactic you've used? I know I have. Family members, friends, maybe. I think back to COVID during the pandemic and all of those awkward fights and disputes and just the controversial topics that came up that separated friends, that caused pain, between us as, as followers of Jesus, but not even just within our families. Um, and what, what have so many of us done in the aftermath of that stuff? We just justify that, hey, we need to keep the peace, and the only way that I can do that is by walking away, right? Because every time I'm around this person, every time we interact, my blood gets to, begins to boil, I start to feel anxious, I get angry, and so my answer is just to walk away and to avoid them. 
And I think about that story I shared last week. If you were here last week, I, I talked about that story of that, um, those neighbors who, uh, there's a lady that called in that radio show. I don't know if you remember this. And um, she talked about how there is a, the, the, this relationship she had with her next door neighbors across the street, actually. Um, they were an older couple. And they lived there for 25 years, and they never interacted for 25 years because of a few run-ins in which they had uh, regarding their lawn being not mowed appropriately. And so for 25 years, they avoided, they kept the peace by avoiding each other, right? They kept the peace by not having any interactions. But is that really peace? Because one would go this way and the other would go that way. They'd always be looking out the window to make sure there's no interaction with one another. I mean, is that really a peaceful way of living? No. And there's a decent chance that if you are human, you've experienced these kinds of relationships in your life in which you were offended or some wrong was done towards you. And rather than address it, our tendency is to just avoid it and keep the peace. And we ask ourselves, why do we do this? Why do we do this? And the answer is because, well, it's complicated. Everything's complicated. We're not supposed to fight wars. What, what do you do when in the Middle East right now, Hamas kills 1,200 Israelites? Are we supposed to just lay down our weapons, put down our guns? And, and then what do we do when Israel responds and retaliates by killing 15,000 Palestinians? Are we supposed to go and defuse all their bombs and just walk away from that? Or closer to home, what do you do when that friend or that family member hurt you deeply and confronting them will realistically just cause more hurt? And you know this because you know that person well. You know what the outcome's going to be by confronting them. When that family member is maybe just too unhealthy to reason. When they see the world so fundamentally different than you do. How are you supposed to get along? How are you supposed to arrive on, to, at, at, at genuine peace? And I get that. I got my own stuff that I'm dealing with in, those, in that regard. It, it is complicated. And, and this is the part um, that I was talking about at the beginning. I don't have easy answers for you here. I don't know that easy answers exist for these challenges in our lives. But all I can do is turn back to Zechariah and read this once more. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide us to the path of peace. We are sitting in this shadow of death, this darkness. We're filled with despair. We see the patterns of violence and their inability to bring peace. We see our avoidance tactics that don't result in genuine peace. But then this baby boy grows up to shine a light on the path of peace. He shows a way out of the darkness. Zahn notes that when we follow Jesus, we find our feet on the path of peace. And if the path of, is not peaceable, the path is not following Jesus. Jesus, following Jesus, is to walk on the path of peace. 
The way of Jesus that you and I are trying to live in this community is the way of peace. It's the way of love. It's the way of forgiveness. The way of putting the needs of others ahead of our own. Amen? Zahn points out that Jesus demonstrates this path of peace when he teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount to forgive our enemies. And then he demonstrates it when he's hanging on the cross and he says, Lord, forgive them. And then the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth after his resurrection is, peace be with you. Every step of the way in the way of Jesus is on the path of peacemaking, peace building, peace seeking. Jesus was about peace. But we need to remember that peace is not the destination. It is the path. Peace is not the place where we arrive. Peace is the way that we arrive as we move forward. It's how we walk on the path of life. We find peace by walking in peace, and we walk in peace by following Jesus. The way of peace doesn't begin with these prophetic words from Zechariah. They were spoken again by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus is on the scene. He says this, The people will walk in darkness. Who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Those who walk in darkness hold to the tired old ways of solving our problems through more violence, through dominion, through exerting power over others, through proving ourselves right and thus closing off ourselves to the other justifying to ourselves that we can ignore them or that we can treat them like garbage and it's okay. All of the ways that perpetuate separation and division are ways of darkness. All of the ways that we are so familiar with that promise peace is the outcome, but aren't all that concerned with how we actually get there. Right? Whatever it takes. This is the deep darkness for which a light will shine. He says this a few verses later. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. The Prince of Peace shows us the path of peace that leads to peace that will not end. This is the light that pierces the darkness. The way of peace shows to us through Jesus, shown to us through Jesus, leads to peace that will have no end. So, back to the question of how do we address the complexities of fractured relationships with friends and family? How do we propose solutions on global matters of conflict and war like that between Palestine and Israel? What does the path of peace look like that Jesus invites us into? that shines his light on the darkness and says, follow me out of this darkness. What does that look like for you? And again, I don't have answers for you here. And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will guide you and speak to you how he needs to. But regarding the war in Israel, with the time that I have left, any answer I can give would be simply just trite answers and it wouldn't do it justice. Um, one thing I can do on that particular topic, though, and I, 
thought it, I kind of came across this this week, and I thought, hey, this is rather relevant, is um, this is the latest podcast from Jesus Collective, and I encourage you to check it out on your podcast app. You can just search for Jesus Collective. Uh, it's called, What Are We to Do with the Israel and Palestinian War? I was like, that was very fitting. <laughs> so a conversation that we don't have time for this morning, but that can maybe, if this is a topic that interests you, if you're struggling, like how do I find the path of peace and how to respond in things like this, here's a podcast that can help, con- help this conversation um, grow some teeth. But global wars aside, what about conflict with those around us? How do we walk the path of peace that Jesus calls us to? Is there a better way to keeping the peace than simply avoiding people? And again, I don't know specifically, but I can speak to this generally. And I do so, again, with much trepidation, recognizing I don't know your situation. I don't know the circumstance of uh, individuals in your life that you're struggling to reconcile with. So, you know, bear that in mind. All I can do is say, here's the example that Jesus gives us, right? Um... If you are walking in the path of Jesus and therefore walking in the path of peace, then I can assume that it will probably be, however you respond, the least intuitive, the most costly. It will will take courage. It will take prayer. It will take a community of people who are also on the path of peace to surround you and to support you and to encourage you and to have your back when it doesn't go the way you hope. That I can say for sure. But the specifics of what it looks like for you to confront that individual or those people in your life or or whatever it is, I don't know. It will cost you something. I can say that. Maybe it'll cost your pride. Maybe it'll cost the dynamics of that relationship. The power dynamics will shift and they won't be in your favor, right? Maybe your relationship is not going to turn out the way you want it to. One thing that is possible, and this also should be kept in mind, and this is ironic, but the path of peace is not always peaceful. The path of peace is is not always peaceful. But if you look at Jesus' life from his, um, the, the, sort of the tumultuous circumstance in which he's born, all the way to the uh, tragic and unjust way in which he is killed, his life, his path of peace, did not look like peace uh, externally. Right? And so the path of peace has no guarantee of calm and peace along the way. However it looks for you to, to um, seek reconciliation, to, to walk the path of peace with the people in your life, don't assume that it's going to be a peaceful journey because <laughs> there's a good chance it won't be. So I don't know what that looks like for you this morning, but however hard it may be, followers of Jesus are asked to walk the path of peace. We are asked to cast a light on a world of darkness that is stuck in its own old, worn-out ways of finding peace that just don't work. Those who walk in darkness that say that war is the only way to peace, that say that peace can be found if you just avoid the difficult relationships in your life. And they say this because darkness prevents them from seeing any other way. 
But friends, a child is born, a son is given, the Prince of Peace shines a light showing us what the path of peace looks like. And so this, this morning, the gospel message at Christmas is that Jesus, the light of the world, comes into this world to show us the way of peace. He invites us into that way of peace, and he promises us that this peace we walk in will never end. Amen. Um, a few weeks back, Vincent was sharing, and he shared uh, as a closing the prayer of St. Vincent, or St. Vincent, St. Francis, uh, which is a prayer of peace. Uh, um, it's often called the peace prayer. And as we grapple with some of these things that we're talking about, this path of peace this year at Christmas, whatever that looks like in the relationships in your life, if there are any, um, I again recognize that we can't do that stuff on our own. We need each other, and we need God's help in this. And so I'd like to close this morning by um, going over this prayer together as a community. Our family has been um, somewhat trying to do this here and there uh, at nighttime. When I um, tuck Maddie into bed, I read this prayer from Assisi, and uh, we've been kind of doing it as a um, uh, back and forth, what do you call that, like a call response type of thing. And so I thought, why don't we try doing that this morning as well? Um, I'm going to post the prayer up here. I'm going to invite everyone to stand. So I'm going to read the black, but all of us are going to read the yellow. So let's begin. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as, as to, to console. console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it, it is, is in giving, giving that, that we receive. receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Let this be my solemn vow. 
Moment and live each moment in peace.